75% of the greenhouse gas emissions to human action is due to the energy, basically fossil fuels. 25% is due to what we eat. Welcome to another episode of Who's Saving the Planet? I'm Tony Noto. With me is Lex Keefhaber. And joining us on this very special edition is Michael Backland. How are you, Michael? I'm good. How are you, Tony? I'm doing great. You were uh, an excellent addition to this episode. We have an awesome guest, Pasi Vanika, the CEO of Solar Foods. So this is a big one for us because we have to go to science class to unpack this. So oh he gosh. is literally creating food out of sunlight and carbon dioxide and a dash of water we get ourselves a facsimile of a turkey dinner aka he makes food out of thin air pretty much michael what do you think yeah totally i think it's very fascinating that um this new technology exists and basically from what i understood he's basically just growing microbes feeding the hydrogen in a giant tank and then he has created something that's actually grows faster than even plants and especially faster than meat but still contains the same nutritional value so yeah i think it's going to be a great episode even if you have something that is a substitute for what we're used to on this lonely planet the third rock from the sun as food what you need to get away get over is the humans who are need to change the way they're thinking about it and change the way that they are behaving. Yeah, we use a lot of water to grow plants. We're using a lot of land. A lot of deforestation is required to grow our crops and feed our livestock. Livestock is the third biggest emitter of methane gas after the United States and China. Right. And in order to save the planet from climate change, we need to disconnect food production from agriculture. And Posse is the man leading the charge. But also... A lot of the crops are lost um, when they're grown open in the fields and also because of weeds and that kind of stuff. So when this is grown in a lab, we can get the potential yield and the maximum yield of every single harvest, which is very interesting. Excellent point, Michael. And with that, we can kick it off to Posse, Lex. What do you think? I think we need to just put our future hats on because he's about to take us into the future. We got like a little Star Trek thing going on this episode. The, the technology is going to be daunting for me, but it's our job to make it easily digestible, pun oh, intended. We're, our, we're kicking off the puns already, absolutely. For our listeners. Here we go. Here's our conversation with Posse, the CEO and founder of Solar Foods. Doctor, welcome. Posse, so glad to have you with us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We're so glad, Bozzi, to have you with us too, to walk us through this amazing technology that you've invented. So let's start first with the problem that led you to develop this technology. Give us a sense about how you came to creating solar foods. On a higher level, it's quite simple, actually. 75% of the greenhouse gas emissions to human action uh, is due to the energy. Uh, what we use and how we use and what are the sources, basically fossil fuels. Uh, and about 25% is due to what we eat. And we know that solar and wind, for, for example, have become uh, very cheap. So basically there are technologies and roadmap to, to change the energy system to carbon neutral, but there is 
and has not been really technology to uh, disconnect uh, increasing food production from increasing use of natural resources. And basically that's what we're doing. We are going to the very root of the problem. Now, we have an opportunity to talk to a lot of people that see the same problem and come at it with different solutions, but no one has said, I know, I will turn sunlight into food. So how did you, how did you take that conception and then say, this is the specific solution that you think you would apply? You know, we were researchers uh, at our National Research Institute in our previous life, the founding team. <laughs> And uh, we were working actually on the, uh, myself, I was working on the renewable energy systems. Um, we saw that uh, instead of burning, we, we need to start to use carbon neutral electricity as the, the new primary energy, stop burning, stop mining. And also we then ended up making, uh, turning air and electricity to fuels. So carbon dioxide and water capturing those from the air and turning to, to fuels, you, you can do that as well. Then when we wanted to, to realize the, the magnitude of the problem in the food system, we started to wonder that if there are these technologies, can you actually turn, instead of, for example, fuels or materials, which are quite simple molecules, can you, could you actually turn these constituents, electricity and, and air to edible calories? And then we came together with Juha Pekka, our CTO in the company, he knew that there are forms of life that actually can live from these ingredients. And yeah, we made proof of concept and it worked out and uh, then decided to go for, for the company. I mean, forms of life, plants, right? Pretty much anything that uses photosynthesis is essentially taking sunlight and water and turning that into energy. They are ex doing exactly the same thing on a higher level. Uh, what we do is we increase the efficiency about 10 times per hectare by uh, skipping the concept of photosynthesis. So inherently photosynthesis, the green plants there, uh, they are inefficient and they must be inefficient because if they would be as efficient as our technology, you would need to cut grass at your back backyard uh, twice a day. So we are skipping photosynthesis, put some technology in between, and basically the, the year per hectare of solar insulation becomes higher. To clarify, your technology is actually more not only more efficient than livestock production, but might also be more efficient than plants. Yeah, correct. So what we do basically as an energy flow, we might start with a hectare of land and a certain amount of solar energy arrives on that hectare per, per year. We turn that to, to electricity, for example, with solar PV, and then there can be also wind, hydro, uh, some say nuclear, whatever, carbon neutral stuff. Um, but if it's, if it's solar panels, uh, then you turn that with a certain efficiency to electricity and then further electricity to uh, hydrogen by splitting water. So our organism eats actually hydrogen, it's not directly electricity. Uh, and then the, the um, organism consumes uh, hydrogen instead of sunlight uh, to kind of as a source of energy. Uh, and this pathway from through the solar panel hydrogen generation is more efficient than uh, direct photosynthesis. You could uh, compare it to winemaking or any uh, other fermentation technology. So technically what we do is gas fermentation. Uh, we could start from the middle. So we do have fermenters. You could also call them bioreactors. 
as in winemaking. In, in winemaking, you have grapes, you cross, add some water, put that sugars liquid in a, in a fermenter, and yeast uh, eats this sugar for energy and carbon. So we do have the same. We do have a, a fermenter, a bioreactor, but in our fermenter, we don't have yeast, but our own microbe that actually we have found from nature. So it is naturally curing organism. It has always been there uh, in front of us, but it's two micrometers in size. So you can't see, uh, but you can screen it out. So that fellow swims in the liquid in the fermenter and we don't feed sugar in the fermenter, but small bubbles of carbon dioxide and hydrogen. And Hydrogen we make with electricity by splitting water. CO2 we capture from the air with a technology called uh, direct air capture. And these hydrogen and CO2 are basically two primary things that are fed in. Uh, and the organism can use these as a source of energy and carbon to grow and multiply. Then uh, the fermenter just grows thicker uh, of, of, in, uh, of the organism, basically grows, multiplies. We continuously remove the liquid and dried, and then you end up with basically dried cells, with our, which are about 65% protein. And it's not that strange, really. Uh, it is very identical to the composition of soy. You are using solar power to harness the energy that you need to split a molecule of water so that you are taking H2O, hydrogen, two hydrogen, one oxygen, you're splitting off, you're taking that hydrogen, and you combine that with carbon dioxide that you have extracted from the atmosphere using a, a, the carbon capture machine. So that's the, the raw materials that you use to, in, assess, in essence, feed a microbe that then can grow and multiply, and you synthesize that microbe into something which is edible for humans. Otherwise correct, but we don't really synthesize. The organism just grows. <laughs> if that's the only uh, word I got wrong in that, I'm going to take that for a win. Yeah, it is, uh, it is a natural curing. It's just another natural form of life. It just happened to be uh, um, living with these ingredients. How difficult was it to pitch this idea to investors all over the world? And how come, how, what, what's, what's standing in the way of getting this to every starving community in the world? Because it essentially well, could solve a, of the world hunger problem. There is a whole, I would say, movement where venture capital that has previously flown to very much to e-commerce and games and in overall information communication technology, part of that money actually we we see uh, is invested to a new emerging um, sector in the economy. Uh, globally, which is food technology. It does exist and it is increasing um, and, and companies like ourselves uh, keep, keep emerging and they're, they're funded. On the other hand, it is true that much of the, the funds and, and governmental support, they are aimed to improve the existing. And I, one of the, my favorite quotes is that uh, Henry Ford has said that if, if people were asked uh, they would just want a faster horse. What we are doing here is basically facing this problem from time to time uh, because we are completely changing um, how food is produced and how, how it's done. And it might be too strange to, to start with. It's also got to be expensive. Is it the it's land? It's not actually ex expensive. We are at par with uh, other plant-based ingredients. Soy is something that is it's the cheapest one. We have some difficulty to uh, reach that in commercial scale. 
uh, that, that production cost or, or market price. Uh, but otherwise we are competitive. We're definitely competitive against animal-based proteins. Uh, but that requires, of course, that there's some uh, scale first. What does the machine look like that does this? It's basically where, where the really heavy lifting happens, which is done by the cell. It's a fermenter like, you know, where, where it, the, the factory would like, uh, look like a big brewery. So it's basically a steel vessel, steel tank uh, mm -hmm. from outside. Uh, to be uh, economically feasible and competing with price on the market, you have to have some scale. So we're talking about factories that are the size of a football court. But then again, it is also possible to do it in, in a very small scale. And actually, we had a project with the European Space Agency for uh, a system for, for Mars missions. And we know from there that about a fermenter of, of a volume of uh, 40 liters could provide protein for a crew of six astronauts. And there's a lot of solar power, uh, of course, available in Mars. And actually the gas atmosphere is mostly CO2. It could really happen in the future. I love the idea of taking this off this planet because it does sound like technology that's so incredible and different that it deserves an interplanetary scope. But my question is, how are you going to get the end consumers to buy into the idea that this is a good substitute for soy or for animal products? Like what's your, how are you going to get the people to try something new? Um, we don't. <laughs> uh, primarily, we don't uh, assume or expect people to change behaviors, but rather they want food as, as ever before. Uh, therefore, um, what we do is we are kind of a magic ingredient in, in uh, existing and future food products that are similar to, to what we have today. Um, but there at the back, then we have the impact uh, for, for the climate and maybe some security of supply for, for this food. But we, as, as a consumers, we don't really expect people to change. When you're talking to startups, a lot of it is the idea and the execution, but it's also timing. You know, you have to have the right time where the market is ready for a product. Do you think the timing is right for this now, or are we a little bit ahead of it and you need to take a couple of years to develop the technology and then the, the market will catch up? Talking about the sustainability uh, of food, health of food, um, especially around animal products is uh, is becoming mainstream uh it is you can see this discussion in in, in media even politicians uh, and especially by politicians this kind of talk uh would have been really strange only a handful of years ago right but now now we know it's uh it's around um and uh, then startups as a whole and the whole venture capital industry is uh, very agile animal to uh, respond um, uh, to this customer pool uh, where companies like ourselves, um, we are here basically then to, to offer products that consumer would actually really consume and, and want. And if the products are bad, uh, we don't expect consumers to, to go for them. Well, let's talk about that then. What does this taste like? Is it is it similar to foie gras, or are we talking more of <laughs> a, a uh, yeah pate? What, what's the? Have you ever made it yourself? Have you ever created a meal out of out of the solar food product? 
Yeah, actually, we've made about 20 different kinds of uh, food products uh, from bakery to uh, kind of plant-based dairy uh, and, and meat analogs um, and, and granolas, breakfast stuff. Uh, and we've um, eaten, of course, our ourselves. Um, uh, so in what comes to taste, um, one is that we will not be our ingredients so lean will not be eaten raw uh, but instead it is a protein ingredient uh, in in food products like plant-based meat alternative or or some kind of beverage like you know plant-based milk that lack protein but we can actually upgrade that back to the correspond to to, a, to an animal product uh, or or vegan cheese in the future and uh, and, and so on um, so, so it's an additive yeah, basically it is. It is an, an ingredient, as uh, as they say, food ingredient. So these ingredients, protein ingredients, they are traded globally today, uh, and and the soy and pea protein isolates, rice protein, and so on are, are commonly used in these kinds of products. And also, then uh, if you would eat it raw, um, our organism. I just have to describe to everyone who's listening. You just had a devilish grin. <laughs> creep over your face so, <laughs> so i guess that's not something that you think is going to be odd be like sort of eating talcum powder or something yeah we've been asked also nutrition for athletes vegan mm -hmm. versions of uh, for, for athletes and uh they would then have it almost raw why not um <laughs> sure. why not just stir if, it if in you would have protein it, shake if you would have it raw uh, it tastes uh, like a dried carrot powder with some mushroom is umami. That actually and doesn't sound that you... bad. I eat a lot of weird stuff in our household. My wife's all about the like organic and, and supplement stuff. I think I could stomach that. Look, look, the future holds a place where solar foods taste like French toast. That's the future I want to live in. <laughs> yeah, French toast is actually not that far because when you have uh, our ingredient, if you make um, a dough, vegan dough without egg, but then you add so lean and make the pancake, it brings taste like if it would have egg. Wow. So, but, but then, then again, if you think about it, the explanation for all this is very simple. So if we think vitamin A in carrots, vitamin B, uh, or, or these kinds of meaty tastes, they didn't just appear on the planet, but it is due to evolution. And basically we're turning back time, some hundreds of millions of years, going to that, those species where the multicellular species that we eat today and are able to hold between fingers originate from. So it's that, it's very natural and primary. Uh, and and it's, the solution has always been there. So therefore the taste and properties are also familiar. You're both going to the past to a more primal, like you said, a more primal stage of this planet. And you're also taking us into the future of how things could look when we have further exercised our resource depletion. One example of this development, what I call a possibilism and complementary technologies is that, imagine you still want to have a steak. Okay, fine. Um, there, there are other companies who uh, do um, cultured meat, so growing real mammal meat uh, cells uh, in a kind of a, another kind of a brewing technology. 
but then if you do that, you need to feed these cells to grow and form this, this flesh. We could actually provide the, the platform and the amino acids uh, that the cells eat. So with our platform technology, then starting from, from air, then basically the consumer would see a real meat. So it's meat without killing, basically the same, but the technologies that then enable complemented with something very natural and always existing together a pathway to, to supply it in a new way. So I have a few questions um, and I'll first want to uh, refer back to what you said before about the product of Solane having a 65% protein content. To clarify, your product has um, basically a higher protein content than uh, meats. Yeah, it's actually, if you um, look the the um, composition of minced meat at the supermarket, turn it around and look at the labeling, it's it's the moist composition. But if you were dried, I'm talking about dry mass basis, it is actually very close to meat, dried meat or, or dried uh, soy powder. Uh, the remaining part in addition to 65% protein are carbs, about 20% and 15% fats or lipids or kind of oil-like of, uh, of uh, fats. What do you think the grocery stores would look like in about 30 years? Maybe the biggest difference is more variety in uh, personalized nutrition. So there can be new um, properties uh, based on which um, you can make your decision. So for example, not that like that you, you have a different meat from different animals, uh, but there can be different kinds of products that have different properties that you know that are, are good for, for your gut or, or something like that. So personalized nutrition and some kind of dialogue between the, the data that different kinds of sensors uh, generate from you to your diet can be become together at the, at the future of, of the supermarket. You know, there's so many th things in science fiction movies where you see what the future of food would look like. Everything from like the Matrix, which is this, this, you know, gloop that gives you what you need to the Star Trek idea of you put a cube in a food generator and like out comes a turkey dinner. Yeah. I wonder, Posse, I come from a food background. I come from working in restaurants and there's a romanticism around it. You know, there's this, there's food is more than just getting sustenance. It's cultural. It's anthropological. It's romantic and wonderful you know it can bring people together how do you see this also creating that emotional quality that people get from making a wonderful meal and, and bringing together different you know to bring everyone around the dinner table i answer by by uh, asking a question can, can you indicate at all how big percentage of what you described the culture and the emotion uh history around the food has to do with the animal part of the food. You're Italian, Tony. This yeah, is <laughs> but it's, <laughs> I'm probably, we're gonna, we can get a whole other episode where we debate this. No, I think it, it has to do with the, the animal um, to a great deal, uh, especially around the holidays. There, there's a religious symbolism, which of course people can get over that sort of thing, whether it's lamb or fish. Italians are very big into fish dinners on Christmas Eve in a way that that's sort of a 
centers around the, the, the meat itself. And I know a lot of people don't opt in for that sort of thing if you're vegan or vegetarian, but the idea of gathering around a table, I, I totally understand what, what Lex is saying. It is, it is a very ritualistic sort of thing. I agree with Lex that there is definitely some romanticism um, with food and there's a culture behind it. Um, my dad he loves to cook. He goes to different um, cultures, Indian, he loves cooking Indian food and that kind of stuff. But I think there's also some kind of a convenience space for food and to eat that. Um, I re don't really doubt that anyone really goes to McDonald's for romanticism. It's just very convenient. And I think that um, sour foods is a very, very, convenient option, especially for people who care about the planet. Um, so I think that's a, an interesting insight here uh, yeah. regarding the romanticism of the food. I agree about McDonald's, but every time I walk into an In-N-Out when I'm back on the West Coast, I do shed a tear. But that's <laughs> more of a personal thing. Yeah. But, but Posse, you were asking that question, I think, is a lead-in to something else. So we all went out and gave our explanation. What do you think? What, do, what is your take on this? In my view, the, the um, kind of festive... Uh, part of the food, uh, they're still so rare occasions or happen a few times of year, Christmas is once, you know, these kind of ma main events. I believe that uh, those times we can actually consume, for example, meat through killing if that's part of the story. But uh, I would say 95% of the food what we consume an urban person consumes has to do more with the convenience part. Therefore, we, we want to impact this part of the story. And that will result, uh, actually, we in the future, if you would have, let's say, pork, uh, you have pork every day, and then in Christmas, you also have pork. But in the future, it might be that you tremendously more appreciate this fish that is actually natural catch because most of them are, are from aquaculture. Right. Half of the marine catch today is from aquaculture, an industry that hardly existed 25 years ago. The seas are empty. So it's not really, nat it's not really natural fish, most likely. Um, right. so, so, but you sometimes have this, uh, and, and there's a tremendous appreciation to it. Instead, 95% of the time you may be McDonald's or it's a pizza or a sandwich, that you, you could have the vegan cheese, new cheeses on, on the pizza or similar and, and meat slices that you don't really can't tell from outside if it was meat with killing or without. We're seeing, I mean, who would have thought that Burger King would be promoting a meatless burger even just five years ago? And they're like putting advertising. So I will, definitely things are changing. I think we got to, we should wrap it up here. Um, but what questions should we ask you that we'd have not asked you? you? You didn't ask the when question. Yes, when. You're yeah. right. How? When is this going to be in the supermarket? Thank you. We, we aim at to be uh, on the market in 30 months. Wow. Um, with, a, with a new facility that we call a demonstrator. So it's a small factory. Uh, this is a Noel food. We do need a Noel food approval. Uh, it also takes some time, but it's not that far. Thirty. So in thirty months, we can walk into, let's say, an Aldi in Europe and pick up a uh, food substitute. It will be first uh, commercially available. Let's put it that way. Of course, the production volumes are small to start with. I gotta ask then: 
can you ship us some prototype at some point so Tony and I can sit down and make French toast out of uh, solar food? That's what I want. Yeah, that can be absolutely done. Or then you just need to come over to, to meet us in our, our test kitchen. Posse, I also think you need a couple of celebrity endorsements. Maybe somebody who needs protein on a daily basis more than the average individual. Maybe like Arnold Schwarzenegger or Dwayne The Rock Johnson. We got Elon Musk. It's got to be Elon Musk. You're a perfect fit for a star man. Yeah, and we are on Mars right now. Where the the Perseverance mission is is taking place right now. Any future space traveler needs to have a solar foods packet on his on on his cosmonaut outfit. Right, you're the MRE of the future. Yeah, I think the key in every case is that uh, providing technology gives the opportunity. Uh, well, we have the mobile phones that would have been considered supercomputers in late 90s. So basically with this technology, we can empower the individual to do, everyone can be Elon Musk. <laughs> well, I don't want to sure be that's a Musk. future that we need. No. <laughs> One's probably enough for this planet. I'll take his money. Arnold Schwarzenegger then. <laughs> I'd be Arnold. I love Arnold. <laughs> Posse, thank you so much for coming on today and talking to us. This was a lot of fun, and uh, it's really fascinating what you're building. It's truly a, one of those things that sounds too good to be true, and you, you brought it down to our level. So thank you so much. Take care, Posse. Thank you very much.